Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Gonna push tempo here. The Pelicans. Hold that follow through. He posed. That's right. This is what takes you to another level. What the Pell is up, everyone? This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on the Twitter. If you would like to leave a rate and review before we get started today. Oh, also, subscribe and or follow, depending on where you're listening. That really helps us out. Also, make sure to tell a friend about today's podcast, in which we are recording our fourth installment of the Drew Holiday Trade Series and episode 69. <laughs> nice. And we're joined by Adam Aronson of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast in Philadelphia. He is... Not the host, but he occasionally joins the show. He's a columnist for the website, the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast website. He's also formerly of Liberty Ballers, the SB Nation Philadelphia 76ers affiliate. So on today's show, we talk a little bit about the current state of the 76ers, how that affects how they will go about trades and free agency and such this offseason, and how that affects the possibility of them going after their former point guard slash shooting card, Drew Holiday. So stick around. Here is our conversation with Adam Aronson of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. And we're joined by Adam Aronson of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Column writer there. He's also made a few appearances on the podcast, formerly of Liberty Ballers, the SB Nation affiliate. Adam, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. We really appreciate you stopping by. Like we said before, we started recording. I'm sure you're a busy guy with all your Sixers coverage and being in college at the same time. So also, like I mentioned before we got on air, I had David Ramil of Locked on Heat on for this Drew Holiday trade series. And he's pretty much on top of the world right now with how the Heat are playing in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Celtics. I imagine that you're feeling a little bit differently about uh, your Sixers at the moment. Yeah, that is uh, certainly fair to say, um, <laughs> given just kind of the disaster that the entirety of the season was really on all fronts. And, you know, the whole thing was, you know, they're built for the playoffs. What's the playoff start? you know, they'll, they'll find their true form. And then they got swept in the first round after, after what, four or five months of uh, Sixers fans all talking themselves back into the team. Because when you're not watching the Sixers, it's much easier to be optimistic about them than when you are watching the Sixers. Uh, yeah, I mean, the issue is that uh, there's no easy way to get out of what, what 
we just watched. I mean, you know, if you think about something like last year's Celtics team where it was obviously a disaster and the players didn't like each other and it didn't fit, you know, they had guys on expiring contracts and look how quickly they were able to, you know, kind of turn a new leaf. The Sixers are locked into like all of these guys on long-term deals. Uh, it's going to take a lot of assets and players that they might not even have to get off of, you know, the Al Horford contract or maybe even the Tobias Harris contract. They're they're just in a really tough spot where their their team is fundamentally flawed and they also don't really have much wiggle room. It was a strange off season for the for the Seventy Sixers to say the least. You know that that signing of of Al Horford was pretty interesting i'm sure you were reacting all kinds of ways but uh i you know i'm sure you felt like well maybe i'm not sure but given the way brett brown and the organization felt about jimmy butler uh you know (laughs) i thought they should have brought him back i thought they should have done everything they could to bring him back probably move on from tobias harris and definitely not sign al horford that was that was quite the move now given given the circumstances of where they're at how i mean what are you thinking? I mean, I'm assuming the only way you can get out of this sort of situation is, is via trade. And probably uh, one of the scenarios is the trade we're going to be talking about today with Drew Holiday. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just at a tough spot because I mean, it kind of like what I was saying earlier, they don't have much wiggle room and not only do they need to be getting rid of someone like Horford or, or Harris, which is probably less likely, but they need to be replacing those guys with impact players who can help them win right now. They can't, you know, it would be a positive uh, value trade in a vacuum if you could trade Al Horford for, you know, some amount of expiring contracts that aren't really going to help you on the court, but you can be out of the money after a year. But then you're kind of just wasting a year where, you know, Simmons and Embiid are, re- are starting to reach their primes, uh, as we know. And, I guess I should say, as your listeners know very well, uh, you know, superstars don't want to stay in a place forever if things aren't going well. Um, I, by the way, I don't, I can't imagine how how you all must have reacted to that shot the other night by hey, Davis. Yeah, you um, know, <laughs> you know, Pelicans fans. I think for the most part, uh, people have kind of let it go. I, I wouldn't say they were. Yeah happy about it that's for sure it's it's definitely yeah. more of an indifference as to how the Pels are feeling right now but anyway yeah I yeah I would have an easier time moving on if I got Zion Williamson a few right. months later <laughs> as well um yeah so I mean that's the spot they're in they have there's so much that they need to do and so little uh you know capital to do it with um so they need to find a team that might you know talk themselves into having a real case for uh, you know, Al Horford making sense for them and someone who, you know, would in return be able to give the Sixers some sort of guard who makes a lot of money where the salaries match, who could help the Sixers with their shot creation. And and uh, the Pelicans look like they might be one of those teams. Right. And it's going to be tough to convince a lot of Pelicans fans and just NBA fans in general to take on that Al Horford contract. But it's been established with the way Chris Paul has been shipped around in this last year uh, that no contract is untradeable. So that's a little bit of hope for, for you and your 76ers. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I'm like in the vast, vast, vast minority of Sixers fans here when I say that I think Horford will actually not, it won't be this bad once he gets traded. Um, he's just in the worst possible situation. I mean, Embiid is the star player and he's a low post center. 
Ben Simmons is a power forward who sometimes pretends to be a point guard, but <laughs> for all intents and for, but for all intents and purposes is a four. Tobias Harris is a four who's pretending to be a three. Josh Richardson is a three pretending to be a two. And then Al Horford on top of it all is a setter pretending to play the four. Um, it's like they they have a bunch of good players if you strip the entirety of, you know, the context of the situation. But then you have a bunch of players who are all like, you know, slightly uh, less skilled than someone of their position should be. And then it just turns into a cluster like it did this year. I think if you put Horford on, you know, a team where he can play center, um, there are guys who he can do interesting stuff with as a passer because he still is a great passer for a big man. He has some sort of, uh, you know, north and south uh, threat in the middle of the floor, which, I mean, if there was ever, you know, a threat over the middle of the floor, it's Zion Williamson. I mean, oh, my Lord. Um, so I actually do think that he could make some sense for the Pelicans, and I promise this is not just me trying to swindle you guys into a trade <laughs> that you'll regret. Um, you know, I, I love Drew, so I, it would take a lot for me to, to give him up if I were the Pelicans still, but uh, I do think Horford there would, would probably improve pretty significantly uh, compared to what it was like this year in Philly. For sure. And we'll definitely get into trade talk later here in today's episode. But I want to ask you a couple more questions about the current state of the 76ers. So from an outsider's perspective, you know, I haven't been covering the Sixers all year like you have. I've been a Pels guy, obviously. But I mean, the way I see it, I think if they keep Simmons and Joel, M Joel Embiid together, I mean, Looking at who's available in the coaching carousel that is the NBA, especially right now, you know, honestly, I think Mike D'Antoni is one of the few guys that could really figure out the Simmons and Joel Embiid dynamic. I mean, you know, Ty Lue has the championship experience. Billy Donovan has done a lot with a lot of different lineups in Oklahoma City, and for that reason, a lot of Pelicans fans like him. What are your thoughts as to who the, the 76ers should go out and get for this upcoming year and maybe the few years into the future. Yeah, I'm mostly in agreement with you. I would, I would say either D'Antoni or Lou. Um, D'Antoni, a lot of Sixers fans have actually been turned off to him because just the, the mere fact that, you know, looking at what the Rockets were doing in the playoffs this year and then looking at the Sixers roster, it seems impossible to coach both of those teams. Um, you know, one team has no bigs and shooting a bunch of threes. The other team has like all bigs and players who like legitimately will refuse to shoot. Um, so, so in that sense, it's, it would be quite an adjustment for him. But I do think at the end of the day, he is just, you know, he's been a brilliant offensive mastermind for, uh, for quite a while, even when, you know, I mean, those seven seconds or, or seven seconds or less Suns teams were not the same as these Rockets teams. He has adjusted and adapted throughout his career. Um, and if you're, you know, what I, I just wrote about in a column that came out this morning about uh, what I think the Sixers should be looking for in their coaching search. And I think the most important thing is someone who can be creative offensively, uh, just someone who, you know, has ideas as to things they can try because the Simmons and beat fit, you know, if they're surrounded by shooting, it's manageable. But right now, they're really not. So, so they have to get creative as far as how to make it work offensively. Uh, so someone like D'Antoni would make a lot of sense, in my opinion. And I also think Lou would. I think he's probably a better coach than people give him credit for. He sort of gets the, oh, you were carried by LeBron treatment. But 
I do think, I mean, you know, if you go back and watch the 2016 finals, he clearly outcoached Steve Kerr and he's someone who people in Cleveland seem to be really fond of. Uh, Mike O'Connor, who's my teammate at the right Ricky Sanchez, he used to cover the Cavs. He, he gave a pretty glowing review of Lou uh, in terms of, you know, his ability as a tactician. Um, and I also think it's important to have someone who's willing to, you know, hold stars accountable and, and not, you know, back down, uh, not, you know, not be intimidated by their egos. Uh, not saying that Brett Brown was intimidated, but he sort of lost his voice at some point over the last few years with Simmons and Embiid, and it'll probably be healthy for them to have a new voice in the room. Uh, so I would say Lou or D'Antoni would definitely be my top two. I'm not as big of a fan of Donovan for the Sixers, though I get why it might actually make sense for the Pelicans. Um, but in terms of the Sixers, I would be looking at D'Antoni and Lou. So in terms of D'Antoni, the thing that sticks out to me is, oh, he's so horrible as a defensive coach. I mean, that's the issue that the Pels had with Alvin Gentry, and he is a uh, – D'Antoni was sort of a mentor for Alvin Gentry. So the thing about that is that there's so many extremely talented defenders on the Sixers roster to where you don't necessarily have to focus so much on the defense, defensive perspective from your head coach. I mean, you got Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Matisse Thybul. I mean, th- it's just full of good defenders. I-, I think that's a good proponent for D'Antoni to be your head coach as well. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Embiid, for my money, is probably the second best defensive center in a playoff series, aside from uh, aside from Davis at this point, who's just I mean been unbelievable in the playoffs. Um, and Simmons just made All NBA First Team, and some of it is because of what Embiid allows him to do for being such a solid rim protector. But Simmons really can guard, you know, one through four and a half. And, uh, you know, he's, he spent games guarding Malcolm Brogdon and Victor Oladipo, and he spent games guarding Pascal Siakam and everything in between. It's really incredible to watch him throughout a season, you know, on a nightly basis be guarding, you know, some, like, quick guard, and then the next night be, you know, banging with some big in the post. Um, his defensive versatility really makes everything so much easier for a coach because even if you have a weak link out there defensively, Basically, no matter what, you can have Ben Simmons on whoever the strongest perimeter player is, and you're going to have him beat down low. Uh, so it's not as simple as just, you know, have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid have a top five defense, but it gets you pretty close. And, and you don't, you know, the focus should be much more on the offensive end than the defensive end, given how perfectly Simmons and Embiid fit defensively and, you know, the struggle that they've had offensively since the team lost guys like J.J. Redick and Jimmy Butler and, and others who helped their spacing. Right, and it appears that the only guy that can help their spacing in basically any way is Furkan Korkmaz, uh, the 23-year-old. Yeah. Is he a rookie this last year? Uh, no, this was actually his third year, but he barely played in his first two years. So yeah. for this was this was his first time playing for an entire season. Sure. Other than other than that, looking at this roster, I mean, Joel and and Al Horford could could hit some threes here and there, but from the the center position, that's not really what you're looking for. At least uh, in terms of being your spacers. I mean, like. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't see any other guys on this roster where I'm like, that guy can shoot. All right. And I would, I would like correct you if there was someone else who could shoot. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really the thing. That's like, 
you know, the, the Sixers seem to be the popular pick to win the East this year. Nobody likes, you know, picking the favorite with the Bucks, And I guess that turned out to be the right call. But um, my argument for the Bucks was like, what, what is going on on offense here? Like, I figured that they would be able to, like, figure it out and be okay. Um, but really, it, it's just, like, it's jaw-dropping when you watch them. Um, especially, like, you know, I watch them every game and I get, you know, I get acclimated to everything. But if you, like, don't watch them often, if you go back and watch, like, just some random game that they played, it's really jarring how brutal the offense is. Everything is, like, buffered and stagnant. It's very much like your turn, my turn, except like nobody actually like does well in their turns. <laughs> uh, like Joel Embiid is still the best post-up scorer in the league. And then after that, you're looking at, you know, Tobias Harris passing up an open three, waiting for the defender to come, failing to get by the defender, and then taking some sort of falling away long two that doesn't go in. Um, or Josh Richardson being asked to shoot way more a game than he should. Um yeah, it, it, you just spoke to it. I mean, you, it's it's just as clear as looking at the roster, and, and you can tell what's going on offensively. It really just doesn't work. So one possible solution is to mix it up a little and add a solid vet who is also good at defense uh, to a team that has a bunch of defenders. Uh, Drew Holiday, not the greatest shooter in the world, but he does provide a different dynamic to your offense, having shot 35.3% from three and 45% from the field last year so for me this is one of the places that really makes sense in terms of a trade and what the Pels could get in exchange for Drew Holiday so the Sixers have some things that the Pels could really use are you on board for grabbing Drew Holiday and having him return to Philly yeah I would love that first of all I've, I've just always loved Drew ever since I mean when he for when he got drafted here and he made the all-star team I think I was probably 10 or 11 years old and even then I I always love watching him play and it's been really cool seeing him turn into the you know full-blown star that he's become over the last few years in New Orleans I would love to have him back uh you know just on a personal level forgetting that you know he does make a ton of sense for what this team uh needs and I mean if you have Drew Holiday Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid I'm, I'm just not sure how anybody would score on you ever again um <laughs> so that aspect of, it, of things would be pretty cool um, yeah, so I'd be I'd be thrilled to uh, to bring him back. Uh, it depends on what you know assets the Pelicans would need. The Sixers have a little bit of optionality there. They have a first round pick in this draft. They also have two early seconds. Um, you know, if the Pelicans were interested in Zaire Smith, who doesn't seem to have much value across the league at this point, but uh, could conceivably still become a useful player. Matisse Thybul is one of the best defensive rookies in a long time. Uh, you know, Josh Richardson is, you know, it just had kind of a disappointing year, but is on a cheap contract and is a very good two-way player. Um, so they probably have enough where they can probably swing a Horford for holiday deal if the Pelicans don't see Horford as just a total no-go. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll secede to you on uh, what the Pelicans would likely prefer uh, as their sort of compensation for making that swap. But uh, I think if the Sixers can get that done, they definitely should. Before we go into names for me, at least in, in a Drew Holiday trade, do you have a package that that you like? I know you mentioned a few names there, Josh Richardson, Dyer Smith, uh, and I know you're you're hoping to move on from Al Horford. But have you put together a a specific package between these two teams that that you like? Um, to me, the most simple one would be giving New Orleans a first round pick and then some 
not, you know, totally insignificant, but not huge asset like a Zaire Smith, who, you know, I don't think would work with the Sixers because first of all, he struggles with shooting and that's something where they specifically uh, will have trouble fitting him in. But also I just don't really trust their player development system as much as I do in somewhere like New Orleans or, you know, some random other team that might take a flyer on him. So maybe something like, you know, Zaire Smith, Al Horford, and the 21st pick in the draft this year uh, would give the Pelicans even more ammo to add young talent. Um, You know, Horford would space the four for Zion, and those two would probably do some really interesting things. I think Horford as a passer would really help uh, with J.J. Redick, um, which, I I mean, I think J.J. Redick and Zion in itself is going to be a pretty awesome duo. Uh, just a quick tangent there, um, uh, just from seeing what, what Reddick did for Joel Embiid's development. I think he can do similar for Zion. Um, so I think something along those lines could be mutually beneficial. Again, you know, the Pelicans obviously should not just be giving up Drew Holiday. So, uh, I mean, the Sixers are going to really have to earn it if they want to get him. And maybe it just means more than this. Uh, but this would probably be my starting offer if, you know, I was the Sixers GM and you were the Pelicans GM. Um, it's it's just tough because if the Sixers trade someone like Matisse Thibel, who very promising rookie, who I think personally, if you traded Horford and Thibel for Drew Holiday, I think that would be a big win. But still then, that's now two years in a row that you've traded a quality role player on a rookie contract after they gave Landry Shamit to the Clippers last year. And, you know, when you have Ben Simmons on a max, Joel Embiid on a max, Tobias Harris on a max, and, you know, whatever, and, you know, in this scenario, Drew Holiday making $25 million, you need cheap young talent who, you know, you can pay Matisse Thibel $2.5 million to give you 18 minutes of really good defense. You can use Landry Shamit for 1.8 million to give you, you know, shooting off of screens. When you run out of that, it's really hard to surround those guys with adequate talent. Uh, So I would be uncomfortable with trading someone like Thibel or even Smith, but given where they are at this point, I don't think the Sixers really have any other choice. Right. And I like the fit in terms of just basketball play with, with Horford. It's just that contract, man. And I know the, the Pels are going to want to sign, Brandon Ingram to a max. They're going to have to pay Zion eventually. If the contract wasn't at the length that it is, I'd be much more comfortable with grabbing Al Horford. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally fair. I think, you know, Al Horford next year could be really helpful for Zion. But what happens if, you know, he takes – what happens if he has another knee injury and his athleticism falls off a little bit more? And then, you know, in two years from now, they're actually, like, cutting him or something because he just like can't move well enough anymore. Um, That is a possible outcome. And that's why it's going to be so difficult for the Sixers to trade Horford because, you know, it's not just banking on 34 year old Al Horford next season to be good, but 35 year old Al Horford. And then maybe 36 year old Al Horford, the last year of the contract is only partially guaranteed, but it's still $12 million guarantee. And, you know, that's a considerable amount of the cap, especially, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the cap now that, you know, this whole COVID thing has happened. Um, so it's going to, that's why it's going to be tough to trade Horford. That's why it's going to be an even tougher sell when you're trying to trade him and acquire a player as good as Drew. Right. And what the other thing about Horford that I'm thinking about right now is the intangibles that he would bring to the Pelicans too, is that, the Pels really don't have a bona fide leader. I mean, J.J. Reddick, kind of, but 
would Horford bring that leadership to, to New Orleans? Um, I think so, yeah. It, it didn't really work out in Philly, it doesn't seem like. But, you know, when you have your best player and, you know, he, it's well documented at this point that he had a great relationship with Jimmy Butler and Bede had a great relationship with Redick. And B had a great relationship with Markel Fultz, Nerlens Noel, Justin Anderson, and several other players that the Sixers let go. And those guys effectively got, you know, got let go so that they would have the cap space to sign someone who also played Embiid's position and was known for, you know, playing great defense against him for years. Uh, you know, I would get why Horford may not be able to acclimate himself as a leader in his first year in that kind of situation. Uh, but I do think if you got him in New Orleans, I mean, you know, he's a well-respected veteran. Redick is a well-respected veteran. Zion seems like he's got a, a wonderful head on his shoulders. Uh, same with, you know, someone like Josh Hart, I suppose. Um, Lonzo Ball, someone who, uh, you know, gets everyone involved in a way that really I would imagine boosts morale when you have such a brilliant passer. Um, I think that you, that probably sets up a good infrastructure, especially if you make the right coaching hire in terms of establishing a culture there. Um, so I do think in that aspect, it probably would help. Uh, at the same time, you know, Drew Holiday might be that leader as well. Um, you know, who, you know, I can't speak as well as you can, obviously, to what happened this season. Um, but, you know, from everything I've ever heard, Drew Holiday seems like a very well-respected player. Um, and to be fair, the same is true for Horford. So uh, I could see that helping the Pelicans out on, on that end for sure. Holiday is a very well-respected player, but he's not vocal. He's not a vocal leader. So there was really no established leader in, in New Orleans this year, other than, like I said, maybe J.J. Redick, who just joined the franchise, but like you said, is a well-respected guy, very articulate. Now, to make the money work for Philadelphia and for the, the Pelicans, I mean, the Sixers are going to have to trade Horford, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, or, or Joel Embiid. I mean – do you see the Sixers at all being willing to part with Embiid or Simmons right now? I, I know it's been tough to make it work, but you got to give it one more season and another coach, right? Yeah, I, I, I would be honestly shocked if, if they made that move at this point. If you told me that, you know, in two or three years from now, the Sixers move one of those guys and, uh, and they break them up, that wouldn't totally surprise me because, you know, their expiration dates in the NBA are, are getting, you know, more and more tough to, you know, figure things out by as, as again, you guys know very well. <laughs> um, I, and I honestly, I don't think Harris is really tradable at all. Uh, you know, this, I know it's going to sound harsh, but to me, it's the worst contract in the NBA other than John Wall. Um, it's essentially a five-year max contract for someone who, I mean, in the Eastern Conference, I wouldn't even consider to be a borderline all-star. Um, he's like a perfect, like a, a somewhat above average level starting player who's like a fine scorer and can rebound and is not a disaster defensively. And they're paying him more than the Bucks paid Chris Middleton. Um, it's, it's pretty disastrous. And I don't think any team is taking four more years of Tobias Harris. I think we're at least three or four years away from him being tradable if he ever is at all, um, which means that it would have to be Horford. Um, and quite frankly, I think that makes more sense for the Pelicans, not only for the Tobias's contract for, for those reasons, but I think it's a much more, you know, it's a much better fit with Zion. I, I love the, you know, the amount of passing and movement that the Pelicans have. And then they have Ingram as their guy who can isolate and get his own shot. 
I don't think there's any need for Harris. There's not any hole that he's going to fill. He's not as good of a scorer as Ingram, not even close, quite frankly. And he's not someone who's going to help, you know, with Reddick's off-ball movement and Lonzo's passing and how brilliant they are in transition with Lonzo and Zion and all those guys. Um, so I, I think Horford is really the only guy who makes sense if the Sixers were trying to swing a trade for Drew. Right. So the thing about Horford is, you know, he is going to provide some value and he is going to provide the intangibles as well for the most part. But it is in, in a sense going to still be a salary dump with how old he is, like we've mentioned a few times in, in the length of that contract. So in, in trade talks with, with the Sixers, I think the Pels are going to are, are be open to grabbing Horford. But like you also said, they're grabbing not only his, his age, his contract, but also his injury history. So they're probably going to want more young assets to boot. So who are they going to be willing to part with is, is the question. Obviously, I like Josh Richardson. I like Matisse Thibel. I like Furk and Korkmaz. But how many other players are they going to be willing to part with in this Al Horford trade, should that be one that comes to fruition? So the real interesting question to me with this kind of trade, or really any other Horford trade, is what happens with Matisse Thibel and whether or not he's available the Sixers, uh, you know, they love to celebrate, you know, a quote unquote organizational win, like getting a, you know, getting a steal of a draft pick or finding a free agent in the rough. Not that, you know, they've really done that in six years, but, uh, uh, you know, they, they were very happy to get Bible. They were in on him the entire draft process and they got him and he made an immediate impact. He, he's shown uh, incredible defensive potential. Um, and, you know, trading Shamit last year, looking back was like a pretty rough move and, you know, they could be averse to, you know, the blowback that might happen publicly if they trade Thibel. Personally, I would be totally ready to trade him if it gets you a player like Drew. Obviously Thibel is a great asset who I'd be happy to have moving forward here. At the same time, you know, he's a 23 year old rookie who can't really dribble and also isn't a good shooter. So as good as he is defensively, I, I don't think you can consider someone like that, especially given the personnel of this team. I don't think that can be an untouchable player. Obviously, you won't just trade him just to do it. But if you can get a guard like Drew, you know, or some similar player, you know, like if you could get – this guy's not similar, but if you could get a shooter like Buddy Heald maybe, or, you know, if Kyle Lowry were to become available if Toronto starts blowing things up, um, then I, I feel like Thibel has to be on the table. Um, a lot of Sixers fans don't agree with me on this. Uh, it's one of my more unpopular opinions of late. Um, but I just think he, it's not, you know, as good as he is as a young player, it's not the kind of player that you hold untouchable, especially when, I mean, quite frankly, they're in like a crisis right now and, and they need to make moves now and they have to be significant in order to, in, in, in order to get out of this mess that they're in. So when I tweeted out the, report about the Sixers being interested in Drew Holiday. I just quoted it and said, what would anybody like to see the Pels bring in in exchange for Drew Holiday? And I got two responses and we talked about it a little bit briefly here, probably five, 10 minutes ago about the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, the likelihood that the Sixers would be willing to move off of them. But when I tweeted it out, I had a couple of Pels fans respond and say they would want Ben Simmons in this exchange. So what would the Pels have to give up 
in in this trade in order to get Ben Simmons as well. So they'd be Drew Holiday would be the core piece. Would they have to give up picks? Would they have to give up Alonzo Ball or J.J. Redick? What would need to happen in order for the Pels to get a hold of Ben Simmons? Oh, man. Honestly, I, I, it would have to be an insane amount. It would have to be enough that you would probably have a lot of pause in terms of whether or not it's a reasonable deal. Um, ben is just having his extension kick in now. He's under contract for five years. The Sixers front office loves him, and this is the front office that drafted him. Uh, which is important because it's not the front office that drafted NBA. And, uh, you know, that plays into the fact that this team has often been built much more around, you know, catering to Simmons' skill set versus Embiid's, even though Embiid is the much better player. It's also why it seems like they're going to hire clutch sports client Ty Lue, uh, you know, as their coach. That seems to be, you know, D'Antoni seems like a possibility, and so does Donovan, but it seems like it's headed in a lose direction. Um. So in that sense, I actually, you know, I think Simmons might be entirely untouchable and we could probably do a separate 20 to 30 minute podcast about whether or not he should be. Um, but I, I just don't really see it in the cards, honestly, at least not right now. If, we're, if, we're, if we get two years down the line and, you know, Lonzo has turned into, you know, the player that a lot of us hope he can be and, you know, Josh Hart continues to grow and they, the Pelicans, I mean, Lord knows they have enough first round picks to make a big trade for you know the next several years. Um, then maybe it could become a possibility, but I don't think as we stand now in 2020, a Simmons trade is really possible. That's fair. And the thing about the desire to get Ben Simmons right now is that I think a lot of NBA fans and, and Pelicans fans see what he could be should he continue to develop that shot, and especially if the Pels retain Fred Vincent, that's just been a huge, huge contingency for a lot of trades that we've talked about because Fred Vincent, I'm sure you've heard of the guy, but he has been so fantastic with developing Brandon Ingram's jump shot and Lonzo Balls this last season, making it much, much better than what it was prior to. But I think the league-wide vision of Simmons is different. I mean, especially if you look at Twitter compared to how the Sixers view him and what he's been able to bring because it's been Ben Simmons can't shoot, Ben Simmons can't shoot, Ben Simmons can't shoot. That's been the narrative rather than focusing on the other 90% of his game that he does so well. And therefore throughout the league, I think his trade stock is a little bit different than what you would view it to be as a person who covers the 76ers. Yeah. I mean, anybody who just says, you know, like him not shooting should be the first bullet point in the Ben Simmons scouting report, because it's just, you know, it's been three years and he's taken, you know, I think four or five real threes in his entire career. And actually one of those was in new Orleans, fun fact. Um, But to just, you know, say, Oh, he's a bad shooter. I don't want him on my team is obviously way too simplistic and, and just stripping all the other context. He is an amazing defender, and I would say other than maybe Giannis and maybe Davis, uh, the most versatile defender in the league, um, on the ball is just ridiculous when he's engaged, which, I mean, quite frankly, he could be engaged defensively more than he is, although he was great this year. Um, When he locks in, uh, really, there are very few perimeter defenders as good as him, at least on the ball. Um, 
he's a great rebounder. He pushes the ball in transition. Even if he, if, even if he shouldn't be the starting point guard, as I, you know, kind of got to earlier in this, uh, in this podcast, um, he does have great court vision. He's someone who can outmuscle a center for a rebound and then beat the guard down the floor in transition and then throw a lob to someone going to the basket. Um, that's the kind of skill we're talking about. Um, I mean, if you, if shooting wasn't a thing, uh, he would be one of the most well-rounded players in the league. Unfortunately, not only is shooting a thing, but it's, you know, just about the most important thing. Uh, so that would, you know, that, that muddies things a little bit. At the same time, he's a great player. He's an all-star caliber player and really has been ever since his rookie year. Um, he kind of got the rookie not making the all-star game treatment. Uh, they put Goran Dragic in over him, which was kind of ridiculous. Uh, and if there are any Sixers fans listening to this, they just got mad all over again. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, he's a great player, and there's much more to, you know, the entire Ben Simmons experience than, like, oh, he won't shoot. And, like, that, like, that is true still, and it's a big problem. Uh, but regardless of that, he is – a wonderful player and that speaks to how skilled he is and how smart he is that he can have such a glaring weakness at such an important skill and still be as impactful as he is on winning. There it is. There you have it, Pels fans. Our conversation, Adam Aronson of the rights to Ricky Sanchez Paul podcast columnist for their website and a former writer for the Liberty Ballers. Adam, how can we see your work? How can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, I am on Twitter at Sixers Adam. Easy to remember. I'm bad at coming up with names for things. So, you know, Sixers <laughs> Adam. Very, very easy. Um, writes to RickySanchez.com is where my writing is posted. You can follow the podcast Twitter at RTRS Podcast. And we are on, I think, every podcast platform, the Writes to Ricky Sanchez podcast. If you want a Sixers podcast that is just, you know, vehemently anti Sixers at just about every turn. Uh, if you ever feel bad about where your team is and you want to hear someone who has it worse, uh, I recommend listening to the Ricky. Uh, you'll get quite a dose of, of pessimism and anger and fear and sadness all in one. It's a great podcast. What a way to end the show today. <laughs> Thanks so sadness much. for and fear. Right? <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today, Adam. Of course. Happy to help. There you have it, Pels fans. Really fun show today with Adam Aronson of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Before you go, make sure you subscribe and or follow, depending on where you're listening to this podcast. You leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Do it! That really helps us out. All you got to do, scroll to the bottom, hit five stars, and type in a little review there at the bottom. Also, make sure to follow at Elliot Clough on Twitter. You're going to be getting all of the Pelicans content right over there and make sure to check out thebirdrights.com SB Nation's Pelicans affiliate you're going to be getting work from former guests like David Grubb, Kevin Berrios, Preston Ellis, Ali Cosell and Chris Connor. Thanks so much for tuning in today folks. Hopefully we'll have another installment of the Drew Holiday Trade Series number 5 will be our next one. So stick around for that. So once again, I am Elliot Clough and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, 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 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.